Welcome back to another stellar episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and Jamie Yoga Guy, Alex Dandino. <laughs> All right, before today's just journey of amour through time and space and symbolisms, a little business. Guys. It's official. Your friends here at the uh, Film Alchemist, we're on Patreon.com. That's right, Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. It's the best way to help the show, I promise you. It's also the best way to make sure the show is exactly what you want. You can get in for as little as a dollar a month. Join our community, see what we're working on over there. And as you climb the official Highlander tier ranking system, you can select the movies you want us to discuss in a Patreon-exclusive library guys we assure you every dollar counts and is helpful just anything you can do uh means the world to us so we're working real hard to make sure we earn your support uh it's gonna be an awesome fun year so go ahead over to patreon.com slash film alchemist pod and join the fun for those of you already with us thank you for those of you who are about to thank you as well you can uh see our beautiful faces right just a collage of beauty through the ages and dimensions on YouTube. Uh, at the channel Film Alchemist, make sure you subscribe over there. Do your eyes a favor. <laughs> Write a little story in your notebook about our vast, epic beauty that pulls you Keep through going. time. Here we go. Uh, make sure you email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on all the socials you're on. We're easy to get a hold of, and we like to hear from you guys. So True. reach on out. Write us a little, you know. Journal, we'll write the last chapter with you. Send it over. Uh, we also would appreciate if you take a second, leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, including now Spotify. Make sure you give us a five-star over there. Help us defeat the algorithmic cancer that tries to keep us from being our greatest self, reaching the pinnacle of amour. Uh, that's it, guys. All right. Before Alex gets real mad at me, today we're discussing... One of the most amour films of all time. Really laying it on thick here. <laughs> Just. I would hope so. I'm laying it on thick. Just. I'm picking up your sarcasm. No. Uh, today we are discussing a movie about love and loss times three almost. Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain. Now, this is a fun one for me because I had never seen this movie. Weird. When I was younger, I fucking loved Darren Aronofsky, right? He was, I, there was a time I would have said he was my favorite director. I think we said that when we did Mother in January. I love this man and I love his films. And for some reason, this one just hit at a time where I just never made the time to go out and see it. And once it had already passed, I feel like I didn't hear about it much. And it just kind of faded from my consciousness. Uh, this is a really great piece of work. But I'm going to actually toss it to you, Alex. This was... You said this is like one of your movie movies. Like when yeah, we started the podcast, is like, this is one of the ones you had on like your top five or ten. Like I want to do this movie. I mean, I it's a really important movie to me. Like it's definitely like in my like probably top five movies because it's just I don't know why. Like again, like there's a lot of movies like that that just hit you at or hit you at the right time. Mm. I followed this movie. Like, cause like early, like, so this came out in 2008, 2006. So, so I was just moving to LA when this happened. Before was we were able to like 
really like use the internet to learn things about movies, I was following trying to figure out what was going to happen with this movie because I was obsessed with seeing the next Aronofsky movie. And particularly because my parents had just moved to California, I was like, oh my God, I might be able to like see it first. Then like I could tell everyone it's cool about it. I'm like, we can talk about how cool it is and like all this other shit. Like old gatekeeper Alex. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was happening with this movie. If you follow like this movie has like a Hearts of Darkness style magnum opus story to how it got made. This this movie like cost Darren Aronofsky all his like movie capital after Requiem. He mm-hmm. went into production on this originally. It was a seventy million dollar movie, and he went into production with Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett. That was the original production. Really? That was the original cast. Brad Pitt was attached almost all the way through until finally because of um because of finally Brad Pitt bailed and because it was starting to because of overruns on the on the budget they Warner Brothers shut down production. So Aronofsky took the script back, rewrote it as like a 30 to 40 million dollar movie and then took uh Rachel Weiss and Hugh Jackman out and they made this. So there's a version of this movie actually that exists in comic book form. If you ever want to go, you know, it's, it's on Amazon or your local bookstore. There's, there's a, comic a graphic book. novel of The Fountain. There's a graphic novel of The Fountain. It's very. Is it his, is his original version of the It's script? his original version of the story. It's a oh, wow. ve- It's very weird. It's weirder than this movie, I'll say that. Um, well, that is a feat. <laughs> it's. It's a, it's far more, and because I mean, I think because it's a comic, it's also far more ethereal than like a movie could ever be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's saying something because I think the fountain, as far as ethereals, oof, really gets there. Um, but for me, this movie was a really important experience and an important movie. Like I saw this movie Thanksgiving Day, two thousand six, at a theater in Elkhart, Indiana. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Cultural I, hub of the Midwest. It was me and uh, my, me and my cousin Garrett. I like my cousin Garrett is like he was sixteen at the time, and I was like, I got to go see the fountain this morning. It was eleven o'clock in the morning. We went and saw this movie. Um, we were the only people in the theater. Absolutely nobody else went and saw the movie. Surprise, surprise. As you this can see, this movie does box not office. say small town Indiana. Yeah, especially you know the RV capital of the world. Elkhart, Indiana. Um, <laughs> but that's a real thing. Look it up. But yeah, um, for me, The Fountain is one of those amazing movies. And from here, th- that point on, and once I got the DVD, and this is weird, this became like a movie that I would show girls. I'd be like, have you ever seen The Fountain? They're like, no. And I'm like, oh, let's watch The Fountain. Wait, 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 wait. I swear to God. This I was th- your panty dropper movie? Dude, I, it worked. Sorry. I'm married now. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so like one girl bit. How many girls saw this? Were just like, holy shit. At least three. In my experience, at least three that I showed it to. And their general reaction was like, this is exactly what I came over for. The general reaction was halfway the through the general reaction was halfway through the movie started making out. So that was like, you know, <laughs> okay. No, I mean, that happens, dude. I remember Again, it's uh, not like, that- you know, the it's no brother- dropper it's, movie of my it's, it's era. It's no Brotherhood was, of the Wolf, but you know, I mean, nothing is. Let's be fair. <laughs> nothing just charges the inner sexual beast of a human like Brotherhood of the Wolf. But no, uh, mine was when we were in college. Every time it was like 
maybe you thought there was going to be a hookup, but, you know, a little, like, tepid. Right. Like, let's have some Keystone Lights and turn on Garden State. Like, every oh, so, yeah, woman wanted one. to turn on Garden yeah. State. Yeah. So, I've seen the start of Garden State, like, a shitload. Right. But, looking to be over here. Like, I'm some kind of, like, fucking Wilt Chamberlain, yeah. Probably up to that Zero Seven <laughs> song, and then you're already making out, you know? But, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. But, so, the, but regardless of what this did for my romantic life... <laughs> You're just like, you be the mom, I'll be the dishwasher that doesn't latch, fall on me, baby. The The movie itself, though, was like, like, seeing the movie was one of those experiences in the theater where you're like, wow, like, I'm seeing something that I've not, not ever seen before. And I remember, like, the way this movie presents itself, and you watch it now, like, it feels, it feels pretty... It's not dated, but it still feels like, I mean, I don't feel very out of it as far like visual effects wise. And for that, it feels very timeless. The Mm -hmm. story is so nebulous and does such a good job of like allowing conversations like this to exist that like it never is going to go away. But this is why I love Aronofsky because Darren Aronofsky put so this is like the passion project, man. He put so much time and energy into this movie. And like, this was supposed to be his big budget feature. And it ended up being, you know, for 35 million, a pretty middle grade move, like middle grade budget movie. Mm-hmm. And he put together this sci-fi extravaganza that spreads across three timelines and is literally just about love and about death. And for me, that's pretty impressive. It's a, it's a strange hodgepodge right so having not seen it and we just did mother in january right yeah <laughs> when it opened with the handwritten b blade quote i literally just go god damn it not again i was that so max i'm like is this where it started is this when the bible ruined arnofsky and it, it took me a, yeah. a little bit to like sink into the movie right and again it's so it is these three narratives, right? One of them is almost like a princess bride, like him reading a story narrative, right? Then there's the modern narrative with the cancer research there's, and there's the dying the, like, wife. conquistador narrative. There's the modern. Right, that's her book that she wrote in the right. journal. Or the modern narrative is him as a cancer doctor trying to mm. cure, basically cure death, essentially. To cure his dying wife. I mean, he's trying to cure his wife, but he's yeah. playing and it then, off. And then the 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 yoga bubble guy I'm assuming is what he added in the last chapter of her story. Right. Is how I read it. The assumption is that just to set the groundwork for what we're about to talk about. (laughs) Yes. Your face. Your face. Yoga bubble man is the, is that not like a pretty accurate description of what he's doing? Right. Do you take that as him? That's the part of him finishing her tale. That's, I mean, I would go further and say that, I mean, that's, yes, him finishing the story. Right, because that's, we even saw, like, the tattooed ring, so it Mm. rings very much of, like, something that would be personal to him. Yeah. So I I think, okay, so that's essentially our He essentially writes himself into the story millions of years into the future. Right. And I I think... On a voyage to Shibulba. Yeah, it's a... Zabulba, Shabulba, right? This exploding star nebula, right? Whatever it is. Um, That's where you get a lot of those like big sci-fi visuals and this and that. I think that what what took me a while to settle into this movie, right? So we start out doing this conquistador shit. 
You're like, right on. Like, all right. Hugh Jackman's like, you know, stand the ground for Queen and God, right? He's a man. He, like, has his ring. And you're like, all right, this is a simple narrative. I understand exactly what's going on. I'm down for this, right? Hugh Jackman looks ready to, like, Wolverine these fools. And then we cut to Yoga Guy. And I was like, wait, what? 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 And he's, like, talking to a tree and eating, like, a little thing. The tree has, like, hair. Yes. So, like, that took me a minute to settle. Like, wait, is that, like, human hair? Like, forearm hair? It's like, okay, that's weird. He likes to get his lips really close to that. But then this is when they introduce the, like, crashing realities, right? So now we see Rachel Weiss not as queen but as a snow-hatted lady, right? And that interjects us into the modern world. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things is by the time we we settle in the story that's actually happening, right? The middle of the story, the cancer story. I really fell deeply into what this movie was doing. And was just very emotionally attached to that story. I wonder in your mind, right? I I had questions, serious questions to me about what the conquistador stuff was adding. I think by the end of the movie, it pays off a lot more once you realize what's happening. Right. I don't know that I ever got there with the yoga bubble, right? So walk me through like you watching it and a guy who loves this movie, right? Right. What each of the segments obviously is wildly different tonally. Sure. Right. What what does each segment bring to you? Because I felt at times when they would stop doing the cancer story and go to him, you know, taking a piece of the tree and seeing her ghost. What did what did each segment kind of offer you that was really speaking to you? I mean, for me, the conquistador story is is the least interesting because the narrative itself is. The narrative itself is just a story that Izzy is telling. It's very Princess Bridey the way they produce it. Yeah. It's essentially supposed to be the most simplified version of the story, which is weird to say because it's easily one of the more convoluted beats in a lot of the movie, which is, again, really saying something in a movie where a guy's <laughs> floating in a bubble towards a supernova. But um, the modern t- the modern story itself is about a man accepting um, – is the modern story is actually like for me the middle of the road for Hugh Jackman's for Tommy. Tommy's story Tommy's story really takes place at the end with the bubble man. This is the this is like his inciting incident. The entire middle of the movie which is his um or the entire like present day stuff I guess you would call it is the inciting incident for what actually causes like a literal interpretation is yes he's finishing the story. The more, in my opinion, the approach you're supposed to take in watching the movie is that because, okay, within the context of the story, Tommy, at the last second, right before Izzy dies, discovers that they've found some ancient herb that is like actually basically reversing reversing the effects of cancer. They found the tree of life. Discovered the tree of life. In my opinion, actually, the bubble man is happening. It is actually Tommy millions of years in the future traveling to Shabulba with the intent of reuniting with Izzy, thinking that she is actually in the thinking that if he takes the tree that he buried her under, because that's the idea is that the tree is the reactive DNA of Izzy living in the tree. If he takes that to the star, it will re it will cause her to re to 
rebirth rebirth will happen when the star dies when the star dies and i will bloom yeah Yeah, that's the idea i've always yes the literal interpretation is it's a story for me i've always assigned much more metaphysical interpretation to that which is that tommy is the same tommy from the present day because he is inking himself on the tree like a tree trunk would he's giving himself rings as the passage of time goes so on and so forth yeah like it is again you have to buckle in like for me it's Mm -hmm. a movie much more about and yeah like there isn't through narrative but unlike mother where like you're literally having to react the entire time to a movie this one takes its approach much slower and instead of react what it's asking you to do is surrender to the reality of the fountain itself so right well i feel like mother has again not to relitigate i feel like mother had so it had so much to say at such a loud volume but none of it had any kind of context or value right right to that's me, a, that's a movie where it's like screaming in your face and it's like shocking you but like when you start adding it up afterwards you're like all right i don't know there's a lot to say like i experienced like a punk rock show fine this one has a really I feel like what is at the core of this film is this really deep, you know, just sit in fucking grief. And it's 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 done in a beautiful way yeah. to me. Yeah. Mother is a tone poem written by like Gigi Allen. And <laughs> the fountain is and honestly, and he does the yeah. score. I actually we saw him in L.A. do the score live, which is like it was an unbelievable experience. Um Clint Mansell's score for this movie, like, does so much work. And I don't think, like, and again, Aronofsky's a great filmmaker in in and of himself, but, like, this soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal. And, again, like, a tone poem by Gigi Allen is how to describe Mother. This is, like, a tone poem by Clint Mansell. So, like, it's this long, drawn-out beats, these long moments, these, like, yawning kind of like ethereal sounds and that is how you're supposed to draw the movie out like it is a long it's a much longer movie it's not that much longer than mother it's not even a hundred minutes which is kind of stunning yeah it's not it's a 90 minute movie but it feels but it like you it's interesting because like it's a 90 minute movie and you honestly feel like it's two hours long it's very weird to sit through a movie but not be annoyed that I sat through the a movie that was like, <laughs> felt, felt, it wasn't it's not one of those things like, God, that felt like it was a million hours. This one just feels like it takes a lot longer to get there. And you realize it's only been an hour and a half. Yeah. I think, and what what I found myself latching onto is I just, I love Rachel Weiss's character in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And there is this constant beat that is happening in the movie where she's begging him to just be with her. Just to stay. Right? You know, it's the first snow. Come walk with me. I can't. Get out of here. And then when you find out she's dying of cancer, you're just like, you absolute sack of shit. You just fucking... And this is... It's one of the hard beats of the movie is I feel like I hate Hugh Jackman's character the whole movie. Yeah. Because it's like, you're doing this... Because she even calls him at one point, right? Because she wrote the story, I feel like, is a way to help him grieve, right? And uh, when he comes in, he's like, we had a breakthrough. And she goes, my conquistador always conquering. And there's the moment when, you know, she's really scared about the temperature thing. 
Yeah. You know, just come sit on the roof with me. Look at this thing. I'm going to tell you something that is helping me in my journey. Uh, when she pulls him into the bathtub, I was like cringing. I'm like, that's one of those things rich people do in movies. Yeah, I don't know why rich people do that in movies. Like, Fuck that's our just, house. We're rich. We can on. fucking just spray water everywhere. What's wrong with you? Yeah, then you got to like wipe it up later. You got to do the... It's like, oh, it's romantic in a movie, but it drives me nuts. Really but not. in that moment, though, right? When she literally is dying. Yeah. And she's just like, I want you to just fucking see me. Don't see the tumors. Be me. Because he sees it. And he's like, we're going to call the doctor now. She's like, just fucking be with me. She knows she's going to die. Right. And she's trying to accept it as this is death is creation. Right. What she talks about. And he's trying to fight that with everything he has. Right. And I, I love that repetitive beat, right? When they're at the museum, like, please read this story with me, right? This mm-hmm. this first father who becomes the roots of the tree of life and every bird that eats from said fruit, right? He flies on their wings, right? It's kind of lovely sentiment. And watching her constantly try to get him to just stop and be with her. And it's one of those things that really hit me. I have a, I guess I'm kind of like a weirdly repulsed by intimacy guy. Like, Tracks. There are times, right? But, like, I'm not, like, a hold hands person. It's weird because my kids are not like that. My kids and me are very touchy-feely. But even with Amy, my wife, I'm not, like, a, like, let's fondle each other in public type. Right. You know, I don't need a lot of, like, when we sleep, like, don't touch me. We're going to start sweating. Like, I'm good. We can, like, talk like humans. You know, we're good. We can convey more with our words than with our fucking sweaty legs touching under blankies. Right. Right? And so, like, it's just not me. And when I was sitting, and again, I told you I was glad I saw this now because I feel like if I had watched this 10 years ago when it came out, 15 years ago, I probably would have hated it, right? Yes. I'm al- I would say with almost empirical certainty, you would have hated this. The man I was at the time would have it's relished why in trying to take a fucking, you know, long sword to this movie. But I watching it now as a husband. saw the trailer and immediately were like, nope, not for me. I don't know because I love Aronofsky, but I might have heard people saying shit and I was like, all right. But sitting in this thing and just this fuck, just watching this guy struggle, right? So while I think he's a making every wrong choice, he's not without reason, right? That's, and it's well, the, that the I think brutality is... and inevitability of the tragedy. I mean, it's just it's it's done the way he doles it out is wonderful, and that's why I alluded to Princess Bride because once I realized the conquistador was her trying to give him a way to see this outside Mm -hmm. of tumors, it kind of became this, this romantic fairy tale escape, which is not the aesthetic of the short. It's not the tone of it, but in my mind, I'm like, this is her really reaching out and trying to, you know, accept who he is and say, also see who I am. Right. That's what this is. That's what this movie is though, is like, it's about the exploration of love. And it's about the exploration of how do you cope with, how do you cope with the inevitability of death? And not only that, the inevitability of death with the person that you love more than yourself, more than life itself. I think that's what makes, yeah, like Tommy's decisions are infuriating because you're just like, dudes, it's, you know, and us as viewers are saying like, it's Rachel Weiss. What is wrong with you? But like, but she's so fucking warm and glowing. She is. But what it is, like they is say it, it at her funeral, right? She has this grace in death and you're like, right. fucking go on the walk with her, you asshole. Right. But what it is, is this what? Yeah. Like you're sitting there shouting it. Tommy being like, dude, go on the walk. But like you realize he is blinded by he's blinded by the motivation to keep her. It's not right. about 
it's not about her saying stay with me. He's he's imploring her to stay with him. Mm. Like it's this constant pull. And so finally when it happens and she's gone, that's what I mean like that to me. That is like man. Hugh Jackman has made a career as Wolverine. Like there's no doubt about that. He's been an amazing actor in other things. This was is such an incredible performance. Mm-hmm. That scene after she passes and he comes back to the lab and he's working and he finally is like death is a disease. And he gives this incredible little, like it's a really quick speech. He screams that at, at the funeral. Yeah. Right. Like he's like, I can't even listen to you talk about how great she is. She's gone. It's just this. I mean, he's it, it's, it's truly some of the most incredible acting, but it is like the moment for me that Tommy kicks off his, Tommy kicks off this exploration into like, why do I have to accept death as the end? Yeah. What if, I, what if like, what if we can live forever? What if I can make this happen? Like that is, I think the, that's the ultimate goal that Tommy and Tommy, the spaceman have is that it's not about what it is, is about proving that death is the disease. It's not about proving that death isn't a, a rebirth or death's the eventuality of life. What he discovers at the end is that he, that's true. And that there is be there's there is grace in death and there is grace in how Izzy passed because like he can be with her now. But like what it ends up being is this constant push against what he's just told. Yeah. And I think that 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 to me is the most like that to me is what makes Tommy relatable and more human than anything is that we as humans all rage against the dying of the light. Like that's just like how we're built. None of us are just going to, none of us want to just accept death. It's those that can accept it with grace that we're all, you know, kind of jealous of in in a certain way. But then those of us who, those of us who have to stay and deal with that are the ones that we're the ones who are like, why do I have to deal with this? Why can't I prevent it? Why can't I fix this? And I think that's what makes Tommy's character so human and while deeply flawed, so, so, so emotionally impactful. Well, I think it's the standout segment of the movie to me is specifically because I wouldn't describe this as a love movie at all, right? This is just a grief movie to me because while you can tell that the grief is born out of a deep love he had for this woman, he takes every chance he can to run from her. He's so obsessed with the idea of saving her that he refuses to cherish her and get the last bit of time he can, right? And there's such a a universal truth in that, right? Is that we all wish there was there's someone we all wish we could go on that walk with again, right? We just didn't, right? We didn't call enough. Like when you've lost someone, that's the first thing you think is why didn't I give more of myself, right? To them when I had time. And now we don't. So watching and again it's you know, one of those lucky things of a script right is that he just happens to be a cancer doctor whose wife is dying of cancer so he does have agency in this fight but watching this kind of futility of a man who knows how slow science works and he's starting to like cut corners and get a little wild with it and no and her just watching saying he she knows he can't save her and the fact that the movie never fucking stops to really give them that really warm like we both understand what's happening moment to the fact that when they even show her as the queen 
in the conquistador segment she's literally behind these fucking like thin veils right she's always so removed from him and he can't like the one scene that really got me was when he comes to see her and uh ellen birkin's burston's character burston birkin burston's burston's yeah she's in there talking to her and just having this really warm nice exchange right the shit that love is built on right and he can't enjoy that and she comes out and she just goes your wife's amazing and he goes hey have him check the animals for me again like in that moment seeing what he is missing out on his first thought is i should still be at the lab because maybe i could get this again the way it was not the way it is now that's sad and tragic and it's brutal and the first kind of release of that, yeah, is the scene when Ellen Burstyn hugs him. is like, the results are great. The tumors are receding. Turns around and they're pulling a blanket over his wife. Um, and he goes full Wolverine berserk mode in a totally understandable fashion. And it's just, it's gut-wrenching, right? And so that segment of the movie, just when all of the, things in that segment congealed to me i thought the movie i was like this is just as good as it gets right filmmaking like they're just nailing me to the floor i don't know if the other two segments ever quite reached the i don't know if they matched the level of that segment and i don't i'm not saying that it was to the detriment of the film i do wonder if the all three segments being split throughout did hamper the story in a bit. You know what I mean? I mean, the conquistador stuff never got me, to be honest with you. Like, it's never been a very emotional beat. But I also, because it's just so far removed from everything else going on in the movie. Like, to me, the conquistador story, like, you, is the most superficial version, which is like, you know, bring me back the bring me back the elixir of life, and you can be, you you know, I'll be. Your I bride. will be your Eve in this new. Which garden. is like one of those things, and you're like. Okay, well, that, you It's know, classic fairy tale shit. Great. You're like, great. That's like, yeah, that's your fairy tale. They did have to this me, weird interlude with this fucking hardcore butcher just dropping people on their heads and shit. This guy just, like, whipping himself to death, right? Oh, you mean Stephen McCaddy being the... Con- <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's the Inquisitor. It's but supposed like, to happen during... Yeah, it's supposed to happen during the... Um, he's cancer, right? <laughs> like It's you supposed know. to happen during the Inquisition. Because he's even like when he's reading out the map, I was like, all right, so he's the aggressive cancer taking over her body. She has one sliver left, right? And he's her last hope of saving her, you know, body government as Spain. And I was like, all right. It's a very specific, and that's like the most literal, it's the most literal version of the story. Like, right. But like, he even has him in his crosshairs, but has to run back because the queen wants to see him. Right. And so there there was a thing. Well, again, I, I was with you. I was like, this isn't really working for me on any level. Why is this here? But again, once the story shows us that Rachel Weiss's character is the one who has vocal authorship of that, then it mattered to me a lot knowing the warm, loving, dying person it came from. It take it took on this strangely romantic aspect to me. To me, it's the payoff. It's the payoff is why it's there. The other two segments are actually what matters in the movie. Because to me, that's always the same person. It's not even a story. Like To me, that version of Tommy persists throughout the rest of the movie. And like, I think like, yeah, like the present day stuff is 
the emotional weight of the entire movie because like that's the truth mainly because like this is where we see what this relationship actually is mm. and i think that's like the brutality of being that's the brutality of being in love and like dealing with the grief because like i disagree with the notion that this was just about grief because to be honest with you grief comes from love the whole no only i way, agree with that they just the never only show way you us can the be love. aggrieved <laughs> right well, that's not true. Only way you can be aggrieved in any way is to love something so holy yeah. that you can't even handle the concept of it. The concept of it going so foreign and so awful. Like, I think all of us would. I think all of us, of course, would want to stay. But at the same time, like, the motivation to keep is so much more. Right. So it's, it's too intense. None of us have the ability to fight something like that. No, none yeah. of us could. But Tommy as the space traveler then becomes this basic that's this is the part that becomes the most like filled with conjecture beat. Like it is what it is. And you can either decide that it's this you can decide that it's this metaphysical, philosophical story about like that becomes this metaphysical concept of like, okay, so you're willing to travel billions of miles that's like the length you'll go to for love. Like you're actually like putting it into actual calculations that like there's an actual number you can travel. And that to me is like that there's a level of, there's a level of metaphysics there. That's way too smart for me to like comprehend. But what I can say is the reason sometimes it doesn't work mainly is because it's Hugh Jackman playing off himself. And that is the part that's more difficult is because it feels very selfish. And because of the way it's contextualized throughout the movie, the concept of Tommy, the space traveler until the very ending beat becomes this very selfish until all these stories coagulate into one completed line. Mm -hmm. Cause they all go crashing into each other in the third act until they do that. The space traveler feels like this it's the version of Tommy you're like oh wow so he's like so far removed from how he felt in present day Tommy that he's like just on a journey now space traveler even though he brings this tree with him that's supposed to be his wife like that I think is always the that's the hardest one to wrap your head around it's also the hardest one to really get behind because again he's just by himself yeah he's, playing himself the entire time so until the very end when it actually pays off beautifully it's very very difficult to for any of us to just be like and he's constantly seeing her ghost and he's constantly doing all these things that don't seem to really matter mm -hmm. and again it is one of these things where you're like this is a guy who's in a bubble spaceship flinging himself towards a supernova how does that make any sense and yeah i think i think what it ends up being is like this is like the true it's weird like we were just talking about these like the De Palma and the Friedkin documentaries that have come out in the last few years and like these are guys who made like very literal movies like fucking Billy Friedkin was making documentary style movies when he made goddamn French Connection this is like the most odd and metaphysical movie uh, section of a movie you could make and you just tell people like this is what's in my head. This is what's in my head when it comes to like the lengths I'll go to, to be in love, to discover love. And not just that to preserve it. I refuse yeah. to say the WandaVision line because I know that's like where it's headed. I'm not going to say it. 
but because it's in, fucking lame. <laughs> in any regard, that is like the heart. That is like the heartbeat of the entire movie is absolutely grief. Yeah. But it's surrounded by like it's precipitated by how much love has to be lost. This grief is it's incalculable, and I think that's right. really what that's really what pushes us into this future narrative, mm-hmm. and it's the only way it can even work. Because otherwise, you're just watching a guy. You're just watching a bald guy in space. Otherwise, which is weird. Which is it's exactly how I was watching it. Yeah, but to me, it's. I think the thing is right. The, the the way I think of that middle part, right, is that you know he talks about how sad he is and about his wife, right? When he he loses it, and she says she'll be dead by then, right? He's having this horrifying moment at the like X-ray machine, right? Yeah. And he says something along the lines of, you know, I got to keep working. I got to do this. I can't remember how he phrases it, right? Um, And the boss just asked him, like, who's with your wife? That's the whole story, right? Is that while there was love, now he can't feel it because he knows it's going to be gone from him, right? And that, that's, that fucking horrifying realization, right? And... I think to your point, when I watched the bubble, right, I literally just was like, all right, theater of the mind, because when he's screaming at her to like, leave him alone, right? That's the deep grief that I think he's like, I can't fucking exist like this. Just fucking suffering your ghost, right? And the fact that I didn't go on that walk with you and you keep showing me that moment, right? It's these very pointed versions of her that are reminding him of the times he kind of failed her the most, right? And I, I think there's just something so wonderful about watching Hugh Jack. Again, I the aesthetics of that scene to me do not work, right? Because I, I was telling you, when he was like floating as the yoga guy in the Aztec temple with the fire sword, all I could think about was Ace Ventura 2 when he like, comes back to the monastery. All righty then. It just like visually did not like congeal for me in the way. Now, finally, when he's back as, like, conquistador guy and he sees the, like, fire and his hair's blowing, wonderful, right? Big, beautiful image, right? But I think I think the problem I had with the ending is that it does take on this tone of, especially if Tommy's a real guy and not just he wrote the final chapter. If I, If in the way I see it, right, that this is him writing the final chapter, the kind of... I refuse to learn the lesson you wantness of it works for me a little more, right? If that's just Tommy in the future still refusing to accept that journey with her, it doesn't work for me as a, a philosophical ending of the movie, right? Because the, the way he does it in the temple when he first finds the tree of life, right? And he like drinks the juice greedily, rubs it on his wound and plants fucking erupt out of him, right? Right. It's literally telling us that you cannot escape this fucking thing, right? And him going to the ends of the earth saying, like, we'll be reborn together. You'll bloom and I'll live is not what this movie has been telling us, I felt like to me, right? It felt like he was dodging this. But if you look at it as this man who's still in immense guilt and just playing this out on the page, I thought it was really cool, right? The idea of him, like, still tattooing more rings, right? Like, she's still a bond to him or bounding him, right? So now it's not a wedding ring. It's like almost become these chain tattoos. So some of the visuals on the actual rock for me worked really well. I just think that if it's just this guy who's literally like, this is still a chain, like I'm still fighting to not die. 
I don't think that that's it at all. I I actually think it's about accepting the fact that you will die. That's what. Well, that's she what the, tells him that at one point, right on the that's rock. That's what the ending of the. That's what the ending of the conquistador story is: is the acceptance of death. He tells that because, and then Izzy's story in the present, where she's telling the story of Shabalba, and like you were talking about with the flies and all that stuff. That's what that is. He's not. He's just. It's the acceptance of the alternative. It's not love for that one person. It is love for life. Life must flourish. That's what that is. It has nothing to do with just romantic love. But that love doesn't that. exist when that fucking Shabulba is going to explode, right? Like, I, I feel like I like the conquistador ending But see, more. once Shabulba explodes, remember the tree, like, the tree, like, rebirths, essentially. Yeah. And then it's right. just a tree in a space bubble. Right, I mean, but that's it's a, those, it's just, But it's those two coming back together. Right. And I think one of the thing is, too, because we get the two smashed endings right together, right? Is She wrote the ending where the conquistador greedily drinks from the tree and is explodes into new life, right? That's her ending of the story. And I feel like when you juxtapose his ending of the story right next to it, they felt disconnected to me. Like, they, they're diametrically opposed endings in my mind. And I guess that's fine, right? Because the whole movie's about them not seeing it the same way. Right. To me, they're both just endings of rebirth. That's all. Like, that's really kind of like all there is to it is just this. It's essentially this cycle of rebirth. It's not necessarily. I mean, love is what pushes the movie through is the theme. And thematically, love and grief is what pushes the movie through. But the ultimate ending of the movie and the point of it ends up being about what rebirth is and the cycle of love loss and all that and everything that we believe and hold dear in this world in general. So like for me to watch the, the watch, like, cause I've always, I've, it's been a very, it's, I've watched this movie a hundred times and it's a very weird scene to watch this fucking star explode. And then a tree bloom, which again, very metaphysical. You can decide how out of the bubble away from the tree. Yeah. Right. Which you can decide however you want, but like once the star explodes, he's come he's thrown back into the tree and they become the tree together again it's whatever you want to interpret as whatever you want to interpret rebirth and love and all these things to be that is what makes this movie unique in its own regard there are like there's aronofsky's version there's your version there's my version there's 50 million other people who've seen the movie's version but everybody watches this movie and even though if you don't like it, and this is another reason I love Darren Aronofsky, and we were talking about this before the show, is why like Aronofsky like never Aronofsky doesn't like pop off all the time. Like we don't get a movie every year from Aronofsky. The difference is every time Aronofsky puts out a movie, we always end up talking about it. Not even the pod, but like the year it comes out, that fucking movie is talked about. However long, whatever the news cycle is. That year, that movie that he puts out is talked about by everybody. Like, whatever happens. And that's what makes him a powerful filmmaker. And that's what makes, well, I don't think The Fountain is his best movie. It's by far my favorite. But that's because that's what this movie does, is it gives us all this opportunity to explore the conversation of what actually is the point of The Fountain itself. Yeah. Well, I think in a weird way, it's yeah, because I I kind of glom on to the the brokenness of the film, right? Is that this is just a movie that 
just lets you really sit and wallow in the grief and the bad stuff. And it's okay that it's a little messy because that's how that is, right? When when you've experienced these things, it's a mess, right? You don't just like, well, that was terrible. Uh, say your goodbyes, put it away, right? The way she kept cropping up in the bubble, I was like, yeah, like this is a, yeah, that's, a scene that like, what the fuck is this? But that I understand very yeah. Everybody deep in my heart, like, right? There are things that are otherworldly in this movie, yeah. but that are really very simple. And I yeah. think that's what makes it, that's what for me makes the movie timeless. Yeah. Like I couldn't give a fuck about most conquistadors, right? Because I know this was his wife talking to him. I really like, so to me, I, I sat and I just, I think it's just one of these great visualizations of just, to me, the fountain in the movie is just how much hurt and sadness exists in all of us. Right. That within all of us, there's just this dying fucking star. And, you know, you can have these great moments and lights, but, you know, I was reading this fucking weird book to start the year. I was trying to find something optimistic. It's called How to Be a Good Creature, right? right? My son last year bought me the Soul of the Octopus. It's the same lady. And it's kind of an autobiography by way of all the animal, 13 animals she's met or owned as pets. The thing they don't tell you when you buy the book that kind of sucks about it is like five of them or six of the animals are personal pets. I thought like half of them would be like, or I thought the book would be like awesome, like weird animals you've never heard of. But right. she's like, here's my fourth dog, right? And you're like, God damn it. I get it. Dogs are cool. But she talks about when her first dog died, right? Her husband explained it as you have your forever dog, your timeless dog, right? The one dog that was the love of your life and you'll love it forever. And how tragic it is that we love dogs so much. And there's just science on this, right? People who have dogs, you live a little longer. Your little heart's a little healthier, they feel like, because... They're just this great sponge of, like, our bad shit. It's hard to be mad when a dog comes up and is, like, smiling at you, right? Right. And he talks about this forever dog, right? And you can love your other dogs, but they'll never be that dog. And the tragedy that you find that dog, and its lifespan is just so much shorter than ours, right? Right. But they're so full of good shit, they just get used up faster than us. And to me, that really resonated when I watched this movie, right? That she's just this bright... He's probably just this guy who, without her, we see who he's going to be. And it's not someone that's going to be a joy to be around, right? Like, you see exactly where he's heading, but he found this one fucking person, right? What are the odds you find a one person in this fucking insane world on this one planet in this fucking universe, right? And that one person really just, like, makes all of it better and makes you better. And everything is just bright and wonderful, right? Right. Um, and it helps that it's Rachel Weiss, right? That's very understandable. Right. But you just, you watch that and it's so, even though again, it's like lovely super scientist, Hugh Jackman and wonderfully beautiful and graceful dying of cancer author lady. Right. It still feels like it's sitting in our own lives and houses. Yeah. And I think that is a real talent. Again, I, to me, the conquistador stuff and the, the yoga man stuff, somewhat hindered my experience but the fact that the power of the story exists in all of those scenes and it is one of those movies that you're i i would argue the ending is kind of clunky and doesn't really tie the movie up as powerfully as it could right that once you get to that them putting the blanket over her moment nothing really gets back to that in the rest of the film right but yeah. I feel like this is a movie, like you said, right? We're all this this movie is going to exist in a bubble in our mind and just keep traveling for a long time. And 
we're going to expand and grow with it. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, yeah, I I do not think the ending of this movie is as strong as it could have been. Not even close, but again, like it's just a conversation, you know, I think that's like, what's so wonderful about the movie. And I think that's what makes the movie worth watching. And again, like, you could make a documentary about the development and the creation of this movie. Cause it's, it's honestly fucking incredible. Like I would actually, I, I I've never done this on these shows, but like, if you really, if this movie interests you at all, read about like the micro, the macro photography they did for any of the space stuff. Most of the space stuff is actually macro photography. It's not CGI. Like it's superimposed stuff, but most of it is not CGI. It's close up macro photography of like chemical reactions and shit. It's like the heart and soul of this movie is the passion Aronofsky had to make it and to finish it. And I think that's, that's why it's my favorite Aronofsky movie because you just see it's bursting from every single frame of this movie, how much he loved and wanted to get the story made. And like, you know, we talk a lot about like that alchemy. And for me, like that is what makes this movie special is that it's made with such like fervent passion that it's it's undenied. It's undeniable that he wanted the story to be in the world. And like that to me is what makes a story about love and loss and grief that much more, that much more powerful is that this is a story that this guy needed to tell. Yeah. And he willed it into existence. So well, I, I feel like most movies that can pass the test, right? Could another filmmaker have made this movie? No. And that's what I mean. That People say that test a lot, right? Like, no one else could have made whatever, right? Die Hard. Well, that's not true. I bet sure. a lot of people could have made Die Hard, right? Yeah. Are, are we glad that those people made it? And did they do a great job? Sure. Sure. Right? There are some movies that are so unique mm-hmm. and so quirky in a, in a way that is so bonded to the very core of who the filmmaker is. And again, it's such a, like just on its core, right? Like you could imagine someone along the way, like, do we need the conquistadors? Do we need the yoga guy? Could we just do the like scientist? And like, you can imagine all the notes he probably got in this process, but this is what he wanted to make. And that alone, I think is always something to be. I think every, Every Aronofsky movie that comes out, I watch and I'm go. Only Aronofsky could have made this movie. Maybe not Noah, but every like, other you're movie. You're like the wrestler. Someone could have made the wrestler. Maybe Black Swan. Like this one feels no, so man. insanely spe- like. But to this use one your is phrase, specific. This one is Aronofsky. very specific to Aronofsky for sure. Like I this mean, is the one you're like because I feel like again people say that a lot about a lot of movies, right? Right. I mean, this is like. This is the con- this is exactly I can I, I remember reading it. I remember, this is what I remember reading about it. So him and the guy who helped him write it, Ari Handel, who's his producing partner, they walked out of the Matrix. They saw the Matrix, they walked out of the theater, and Aronofsky turned to his producing partner, Ari Handel, and he goes, What the fuck kind of science fiction movie can anyone make after that? Yeah. Because he was like, There's no other science fiction movie to make. It's done. The genre is over because that movie came out. That's the last science fiction movie anyone can make. What else is there to say about science fiction? Like, that is like... I think it might be one of the best science fiction movies ever. I don't agree with that, but yeah. 
but that, either that way, was like, a draw dropper. Like all of us he, that saw the Matrix, a, we were like, Holy it's a shit. movie like the Matrix redefines science fiction. So like that's Aronofsky. The jumping off point to create the fountain is literally him going like, I guess I'll try something that's like not even close to being about that, but like what I think can be explored now in science fiction. It's and so I think funny that, to me too because you keep coming back to science fiction. If someone asked me what this movie was, I would have said it was a romantic fantasy. Oh right? no, it's like, a romantic fantasy movie for yeah, sure. I, don't I mean, get any I think science it's, fiction. It's it's funny, but I think that's cool because I know we're kind of disagreeing on some of the parts, right? But I think there is a a calculation that the really good filmmakers can make is when do you have to answer stuff and when can you leave it? And I do yeah. think that most movies over answer and they lose real estate in our minds. And and this one is really good about that. That's what makes Aronofsky's movies generally unique is that he never answers questions unless he needs to. Like yeah. I never feel at the end of Aronofsky movies, like, I don't have the ability to answer the questions on my own. And I think that is what makes him as a unique filmmaker. But like, yeah, I totally agree. It's a science fantasy. I, I there's like four different genres in the movie, to be honest with you. Yeah. But like even that it's like very spiritual, right? It's like a yeah. yoga guy. There's no rockets. There's no propulsion. He's flying towards a star that might as well be a fucking portal. Like it's just, it's just beautiful imagery. Somebody asked him actually why he chose a bubble as like a spherical bubble like why would a spherical bubble be um the spaceship for this guy and his response to that was there is no reason a spaceship would be built like a giant truck in space there's absolutely i'm like well all right that's what you say like <laughs> all right let's not go telling them mechanical engineers how to do right, their bub. job there yeah bubble all right boy. i'll patch <laughs> on the hair there bubble boy and we'll move on <laughs> Settle down, lost '90s comedy movie, Bubble Boy. Kill yourself, <laughs> there, old Arnoff. Right. No, but yeah, I. Again, I, I. But I think that's one of the great things, right? I feel like we watched two different movies, but got the same effect, right? You, you're moved to sit and just ponder, because again, the yoga guy. Every time I saw it, I was cringing. But you come back to the emotional truth of it works in my heart. And I watched it completely differently than you did. At a different age, I saw everything differently, it sounds like. But you also felt it deep down in there. I think yeah. I think it's really – you're never going to make a movie that appeases everyone. I right? think the emotions are always true, though. Yeah, and if you can do that, right? Like, even when people aren't agreeing with you, they look at the screen and they go, there's truth in that screen. Yeah. That's – really fucking hard to achieve and again i think where mother falls on its dick a lot is that it's just none of it is unified right it's all these kind of theorems and noise and often nonsense right this right. one feels like what mother would aspire to be right yeah. that while it is weird in art house and again sometimes symbolism is sledgehammer and this and that it has this underlying soul that is so omnipresent whereas mother feels very vacuous in that way yeah so I, I i found it a wonderful film i don't know if it sounded like i didn't love it i, I thought it was a great movie no, um, i mean i think that again if the emotions are true and they are deeply true in the fountain i think no matter how you interpret or watch the movie you're gonna get there yeah i mean i was balled up in my recliner having a good cry pondering my life and honestly i like that about movies man yeah. 
I like a movie that says, you know what? You've been holding a bunch of shit up, right? You've been a little pent up. Like, let's let the valves out. Let's, like, really have at it and just feel. Like, just fucking feel it, man. And I think that's the lesson that I wanted Tommy to learn in the fucking movie, right? Like, feel this fucking hurt, right? That hurt means, that hurt is earned, right? Yeah. You know, nor unless it's criminal hurt, right? This kind of hurt exists because you met one of the great creations of all time, yeah. man. Like, the fact that those molecules existed to make that person for you. And I like just, and honestly, like, I felt that way. Like, when my wife came home, I just kind of watched her playing with our kids. Yeah. And it's just, like, this insane, like, I was looking at everything macro, like you're saying, like, oh, my God, I'm just this fucking soon-to-be bald jammy guy, right? And like, I'm going to be really sad. Like, but that's that's an important, it's important for us to be able to do that up on the screen, man. And for all you single guys out there, you're welcome. (laughs) All those single guys are like, gross. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to go get with that surly no. ass nurse that keeps back talking. <laughs> um, legitimately. Uh, yeah. Who actually is, uh, the lady who gets iced in Spider-Man too. Um, is she really? Yeah. It's also, I was like, there's a lot of like, let's be professional attitude from her while constantly slamming clipboards. I'm like, you're really sending off mixed. A lot of clipboard slamming. Yeah. Um, yeah, honestly, like <laughs> if you haven't seen it and you're listening to the show, you should watch the movie. Like it's truly an experience. And then, and nothing we said is going to change it. It is yeah. like Mother. It's, it's a movie that narratively can't you be You are going to watch it. the movie on your own. Trust me. You'll feel like, it. Anything we said, you're going to go, I don't agree with any of that bullshit. I am and pretty then, used honestly, to those waters. That's the bubble that I floated. <laughs> honestly, and honestly, if you're even more interested, I would pick up the comic book. It's very, very interesting to see. Yeah, what see, the, I liked it enough. I'd want to read the comic. It's interesting to see what the original. It's not too far off, but it is interesting to see what the original version of this was. And to imagine Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett doing this. <laughs> now that is really honestly, I don't think Kate Blanchett's warm enough, man. I don't think so either, man. I also don't Rachel think Brad Weiss. Pitt's cold enough. He's too now see that I think that you know I know that motherfucker's stone cold. Do you ever hear the story about him and Mike Tyson? Yes. That one I <laughs> So he went he was fucking Mike Tyson's yes. wife, rolled up with her in a car to Mike Tyson's house. And when he got out, Mike Tyson essentially weighed in his mind like, it's not even worth killing this skinny guy that my wife's fucking. But I was like, the fact that Brad Pitt got in that car, rolled up to the gates of Mike Tyson's mansion is like, yeah, I'm not getting out. I'm going to ride this through to the end. You're like, that's the coldest motherfucker. That just means he's hard. I don't know. (laughs) Just the coldest motherfucker. I don't know if he's cold enough to be yoga jammy, man. But, you know, what are you going to do? But Hugh Jackman doesn't give off cold. He gives off broken to me. Right. Which I think yeah. is what you need, but because there is a world where you're like, you could imagine them on a dinner date, and again, the way I say it's a grief movie is because we don't get to see that from them. No, there are very brief moments where she literally strangles him into a moment of affection. He's waiting to run back to that lab and fucking chop monkeys up, right? Like that's who we're watching. But again, she is the fucking absolute bright star at the core of this movie. As she should be. You're just like, I want to be on that snowy roof with her throwing snowballs. Yep. Right? Like, I would let her fucking ruin my, you know, floorboards and my insurance. And, you know, I'd I'd fucking get in that weird bathtub with her. I got got lines I draw. I'm not sure. I see you'd be like, all right, enough milking it. Get out of here. Get the towels. (laughs) We're mopping up. No, that that shit literally bothers me in movies. Oh, no, I agree. For Rachel Rachel Weiss, carte blanche. You can fuck up anything in my house you want. The best. <laughs> That's it. 
uh, for The Fountain, right? That's not it for the month of Amour. No, it is Actually, not. this next film is a really interesting companion to The Fountain. We're doing it, Death Becomes Her. Completely by accident. Interesting companion. Like a weird, we're, we're covering these both at the same time, and it's a strange double feature that works really well. So if you want to do that for yourself, uh, Death Becomes Her. The fan vote is up for the final film of the month of Amour. A little heated debate between us. Be cemetery. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it was Gladiator. Uh, the Descendants, The Notebook, right? These are classic. For the month of Amour, we pick a theme, right? This month's theme is The Pod is Loved and Lost. My contention is what is more a tale of love lost than Pet Cemetery? We've had some bickering. The fans right now, the patrons are in favor of Pet Cemetery. So if you want to tip the scales and free Alex from having to watch Pet Cemetery, I go to Patreon.com. I just don't think it's a romantic movie. It's about true love. Sometimes love's better, Alex. That's all I'm going to say. Stop, stop it right <laughs> so, now. Guys, go to patreon.com slash Pod. Get into the Discord. Vote on the movies you want. So, uh, specifically, tell us to cover the movies that you want in our patron-exclusive library. Every uh, donation and bit of support helps, guys. Even a dollar, we appreciate it, right? Go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, Phil Malcolmist. Email is philmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Make sure you find us on socials. Uh, Rate and review wherever you find the show, including now Spotify. Hit that five stars, man, as our bubble flies uh, to the the fiery hot end of the month of Amour. Uh, For the film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I am Alex Dandino. 